Welcome to the Dream Job System, the only podcast that provides proven tangible strategies to help you land a job you love without traditional experience and without applying online. Get ready to level up your job search with your host, Austin Belsack. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dream Job System podcast. I'm your host, Austin Belsack, and today we are back with our monthly edition of Ask Austin Anything, this time around for August 2021. So per usual, every month, I source questions from all of you who listen to the podcast, and I pick five or six of them to answer. And today I have six awesome questions. So the first is going to be job search related, and then the rest of them are going to be a little more focused on side hustles and creation, writing, the business, things like that. Uh, And then the last one's a fun one. So I'm really, really excited to dive in here. But if you want to ask me a question and get a direct answer from me on one of these episodes in the future, just shoot me a text, shoot me an email, just let me know it's for the Ask Austin Anything episode, and we'll see if we can work it in. So the first question today comes from Vishan. Vishan said, I recently got a job offer. Yay, but there's a catch. So first off, congrats on the offer, Vishan. So the catch is that this offer is from my second choice company. I asked them for time to consider and they gave me 48 hours to decide. I'm still interviewing at my first choice company and I don't know what to do. Do I decline the offer and hope I get the other offer from my first choice company or do I accept the offer from my second choice company and keep interviewing? Thanks for the help. So this is a super common scenario. I've actually gotten a ton of questions about this recently because what typically ends up happening is as we go through the job search process and we get towards the end of it, we're looping, we're interviewing at a couple of different places and we run into the situation where we're getting offers from certain places, but we're still interviewing at others and we need to know how to balance that. Now, when I go look to see what other people say about this online, it tends to be a pretty controversial topic and there are many, many different opinions. So I'm going to share mine and this is based on my experience and what I've seen work best for my clients and the people in the audience who have leveraged it. So my take here is that you should view your life and your career as a business, and you are the CEO of that business, the same as there's a CEO for the company you work at now, or a CEO for the company you're hoping to get hired at, right? And what is that CEO's job? Well, it's their job to make the decision that is in the best interest of the company that will lead to the most growth, that will maximize the company's earning potential. And they typically need to remove emotion to do that. So what ends up happening to us as job seekers is that we get stuck in this place where we know the thing that we want to do usually, but society or you know people that we talk to, they sort of guilt us into making a decision that we don't really want to make. So what I mean by that is when we get an offer, let's say from our second choice company, and we're still interviewing at our top choice company. A lot of people out there will tell you, oh, well, you either have to accept the offer or say no and wait. You know, there's it's bad on you. It's, you know, you're going to burn bridges if you accept an offer and then decline it and so on and so forth. It's, you know, that's not a high integrity move, all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, the best thing for you to do is keep all of your options open. So in this specific scenario, here's what I recommend. First, I would go to your top choice company and I would be transparent with them. I would say, hey, I got an offer from another company, but this is my top choice. I really, really want to work here. Is there anything that we can do to speed up the process or you know, facilitate you know, the interviews a little bit faster, whatever it is? Or you can just say, is there anything that we can do? Because again, this is my top choice company. If I got an offer here, I would accept it. And then you can wait and see. 
And in some cases, companies will go to bat for you. They will change things around. They'll make it happen. But in other cases, the company will say, you know, sorry, the best we can do is X. And X is not enough time for you to make that decision, right? Because you typically have a deadline for the other offer. So if that's the case, here's what I recommend doing. And when I say if that's the case, what I mean is if you get an offer from a second or third choice company, you go back to your first choice company, you let them know, and the first choice company is not able to move things along fast enough in order for you to make a decision before the deadline that you got from your original companies. What I would do here is I would accept the offer from your second or third choice company, and I would keep interviewing at your first choice company. If you get the offer from that first choice company, then you have a decision to make. You can look at all of the factors, you can look at all of the information, all of the criteria, and you can make the best choice for you. That may be going with your top choice company, or after reviewing everything, that may be sticking with the offer you accepted at your second choice company. Both of those are totally fine. But if you don't get the offer at your top choice company, you still have that offer that you accepted to fall back on. And that puts you in a great position to continue moving forward, to continue moving on. So whenever I share this information, a lot of people come back to me and they say, you know, well, you know, again, that's not a high integrity move. You know, are you just telling people to go out there and, you know, accept offers and rescind them and go somewhere else? You know, what are the companies going to think about you? You're going to burn bridges. And are those things true? Potentially, you know, are we going to burn some bridges if we do this? Maybe it depends how you handle the situation. But at the end of the day, landing in a job that you are happy about, that pays you what you're worth. It is worth so much more than one relationship with one recruiter or one hiring manager, especially at a company that isn't even your top company. And on the flip side of this, I have seen so many CEOs give a quarterly keynote where they talk about how we're all family and we're all in this together and we all have each other's backs. And then the next quarter, they're laying off 500 or 1,000 people or whatever it is. They're removing the emotion from the decision and they're making the best decision for themselves. And as a job seeker, you need to do the exact same thing. That is how you're going to maximize your happiness. That's how you're going to maximize your growth. And that's how you're going to maximize your earning potential. So Vishan, I hope that is helpful for your situation. Uh, Either way, congrats on the offer. I think if you take this advice, you're going to end up in a really good position. Keep us posted on how it goes. The next question here comes from Virginia. Virginia asks, how many hours a day or week did you set aside to get your side hustle really going? So I started my side hustle, which is now Cultivated Culture that I run full time back in early 2016. And when I was starting out, I actually didn't need to spend a ton of time because there wasn't a ton to do. You know, with the business the way it is now, we have, you know, coaching clients to manage, we have students who are in our programs to manage, I have LinkedIn to manage, the podcast, SEO, all these other things, right? But when I was starting out, I literally just had a website and some blog posts. So I dedicated about an hour or two every other day, I would say, to the business when I was starting out. And a lot of that was just simply writing content. My sole goal when I started was to crank out high quality pieces of content and get them ranked in Google. And I think that's a really, really great way for anybody to start a business. Instead of going out and saying, okay, I'm going to do Instagram, I'm going to do YouTube, I'm going to do LinkedIn, I'm going to do seven different marketing channels at once. Instead, pick one and spend all of your energy, all of your investment in that one channel. 
Now you want to make sure that one channel does have some ROI and is sort of proven for the area that you're in, the space that you're in. And if you check that box, doubling down, quadrupling down on that one channel is going to give you the best chance for success because you're starting from scratch and everything builds on itself. So the more you focus into one channel, the faster that's going to grow. And then it's so much easier to expand into other channels once you already have one that's working for you. So again, I started out with, I would say if I took that and, and mapped it out on a weekly basis, I would say anywhere from from 10 to 15 hours per week. And a lot of these hours either came in the early morning or right after work. Most of them were in the early morning uh, because I would wake up at 5.30 in the morning and then I would have you know three and a half hours until I had to be at the office. And that was all me time. Now, did I miss some days? Absolutely. Did I miss a week here and there? Absolutely. But the key thing was that as many days as I could, I would show up and I would invest that time. And then what happened is I got in a rhythm. So I understood how to best use my time, how to allocate my time for those one, two hours. And then as new projects came in, as the company grew and we expanded, I already had those processes and those systems and strategies unlocked. And then I could focus some additional time on new stuff because I was super efficient with the early stuff. And so the number of hours that I spent on the side hustle grew as you know the business grew, but initially it was only one to two hours per week. Our next question here comes from Kimberly, and Kimberly's asking, how do you structure your day, Austin? So I really wanted to include this one because this has changed so many different times over the years, and it really depends on the situation that you're in. But this is really timely now because my situation has drastically changed. So if you haven't been following along on LinkedIn or seen it anywhere else, my wife and I recently had a baby. He was born on July 31st. He's awesome and amazing, and I spent the last couple of weeks on paternity leave just hanging out with Lily and Nolan, our little boy. But now that I've come back to work, I need to have a new schedule that allows me to support Lily, support Nolan, but also, you know, continue growing this business. So I've had to get really, really clear on what is important. And what I found is just having this forcing function has made stuff super obvious that I really already knew before. And I think what happens with many of us is that no matter what we're doing, whether we're an employee, whether we're job searching, whether we're starting a business, we are doing things that drive the needle forward, that move the needle, but we're also doing a lot of stuff that doesn't, even though we feel like we're supposed to be doing it. So what I mean by that is we do a lot of stuff that we feel like we're supposed to do, even though we know it doesn't necessarily move the needle forward. So for me, I spent a lot of time taking calls with people and offering advice to people and connecting with people because I genuinely want to help other people. I genuinely want to connect with other folks. But what I noticed was that time wasn't really creating the return on investment that I needed. And so now that I have a baby and Lily's at home and we're trying to you know, work through this new chapter of life, I don't have time to do that stuff. And that was the first thing that I cut out. But what I found is that my days are a lot more efficient and effective. And I'm actually getting more done in terms of moving the needle because I've cut out this time that was taking up a lot of mental space. And now I'm only focused on initiatives that move the needle. So for me, I'm writing two LinkedIn posts per day. I'm writing 500 words for a new blog post every day so we can boost our SEO. Uh, on top of that, I'm recording podcast episodes. And then I'm doing just a couple of other things, You know, only replying to email in 30 minute batches once every day. And I'm really, really optimizing my schedule here. So the takeaway for you is I want you to look at your time. I want you to look at your schedule and I want you to see the things that you're doing that really drive the needle. Like what one, two or three actions do you know really drive results? 
And then look at all the other actions that you take that don't necessarily drive results. And you're doing them because you've either always done them or somebody told you you're supposed to do them, or you just feel that pressure to do them, you know, that external pressure. And what I want you to do is I want you to remove all that stuff and then focus in on the activities that are driving the results. Another way to put this is the Pareto principle, which is basically 80% of the results come from 20% of the work, right? So we need to find that 20% of the work and we need to focus more of our time on that, which is much easier said than done. So Kimberly, I hope that's helpful in terms of how I structure my day. My schedule is always changing, so I'm not sure it's super helpful to go through that, but I think uh, talking through how I think about prioritizing stuff might've been a little bit more helpful. Our next question comes from Jason, and he asks, what is your process for creating blog posts? So my process is essentially a modified version of the skyscraper technique, and that technique was created by a guy named Brian Dean. So essentially uh, what Brian was saying in the skyscraper technique is that Google wants to index the articles or the information that are the most complete, the most comprehensive in terms of getting people's questions answered. So if somebody had a question of, you know, you know, where is the best place to invest my money? Well, there's a lot of places you can invest your money. And there's probably, you know, millions and millions of articles on each of the different areas. But would it be more efficient for the user if there was one article that summed up all of them or the major ones, you know, concisely? That typically would be easier than somebody clicking through 10 or 20 different articles and having to read, you know, these different writing styles of all these different, you know, investment products. And so that's what Google's looking for, especially with these larger topics, right? So if I go and ask Google, you know, what's the weather outside? A 5,000 word post isn't really going to be helpful there. I just need, you know, it's 72 degrees or whatever it is. But for these larger topics, like how to get, how to write a resume, how to get a job, how to write a cover letter, you know, the more depth that we can go into, the more detail that we can go into, the more that we can include in one article, the better. So what I would do is I would run a search for my target keyword. I would just, you know, type in how to write a cover letter. And I would look at the top 10 blog posts there. And what I would do is I would look at all of the headings that that they're using, the topics that they're focusing on. I would look at their writing style. I would look at the order. Uh, and I would look to see you know, what information is missing or what information is in one or two of the blog posts, but not in the other eight or nine. And then I would write my blog post with the goal of having it be longer than all the others. So I'd check the word count and make sure that my word count was longer. I would include every single heading, every single subtopic from all 10 of the articles in my article. And then I would try to increase the value by including more visuals and images or video. And the reason I did that is because if I take all the information that's in all of the other blog posts and I consolidate it into one post, Google is more likely to favor that because it's a one-stop shop for their users versus having their users need to click through a bunch of these other posts to get that information. So that's the starting point. And then my whole goal with these blog posts is to A, write like I'm speaking to a friend and B, go into as much step-by-step detail as possible. Because one of the most frustrating things when you're reading a blog post, a how-to blog post on anything is people tell you sort of what you need to do, but they don't tell you how to do it. So you might be reading a blog post on job searching and the person is talking all about how you need to network. Networking so important. You know, you got to network. And as a reader, you're like, okay, I don't know how to network. And that's what I want to learn. That's what I want to know. And if the blog post doesn't cover that, 
crap, then you leave frustrated, right? Or you leave even more confused. So my goal was to, you know, if I talk about networking, I'm going to then include the specific steps. Or if I talk about optimizing your LinkedIn profile, I'm going to include the specific steps with screenshots. I'm going to go into a ton of detail. My goal is that when the person finishes the post, they know exactly what they need to do step by step in order to replicate the stuff that I'm talking about in the article. And that's really it. So most of my blog posts end up being in the ballpark of 2,500 to 5,000 words. They include all of the content that is available in the other top 10 posts for that keyword. And then I try to go above and beyond by speaking like I'm writing for a friend by including those step-by-step or that step-by-step information and then trying to include some upgraded or professionally designed visuals or a video to help give people another medium through which they can get the information. And through that, we've done really, really well. Our SEO has been crazy successful, especially for you know a little two-person company. We are competing and in some cases beating some of these much larger venture-backed companies that have been around for a much longer period of time. So if you want to learn how to do this, I would definitely recommend checking out Brian Dean's Skyscraper Technique. Um, that's an awesome place to start. Our next question comes from Matthew, and he's asking, what's your best cure for writer's block? Now, I wanted to address this because this is something that I've actually dealt with for the first time, I would say over the past year and a half, two years, really since the pandemic started. I never had an issue with writer's block before this, especially on LinkedIn. It was always so easy and natural for me to come up with posts. And then the pandemic hit and stress levels, anxiety levels went up. A lot was going on, especially for us. We had a lot of changes. We ended up buying a house. We bought a car. We had a baby. I quit my job and started this business. You know, my wife's company got acquired. There were all these different things that happened. And my brain was just so clogged up that I couldn't come up with new posts. And so for a while, I actually ended up just using old posts. I just reposted stuff from a couple of years ago on LinkedIn. And because I hadn't shared in a couple of years, it was new to the audience, but that didn't solve the underlying problem of me not being able to create. So what I ended up doing was going back to the original strategy that I had when I started on LinkedIn, which was that I was going to write two posts every single day, you know, rain or shine, good or bad, feeling great or feeling hungover, whatever it was, I was going to write two posts every single day. And that has really cured it. The first day was so freaking hard. I was sitting there for three, four hours and it was a slog. And then the next day got a little bit better. And the next day got a little bit better. And I still wouldn't say that I'm back to that easy natural flow that I had, you know, two years ago, but I've been able to push through that writer's block barrier just by simply showing up and putting pen to paper. And the key here is to not worry about quality. If I worry about writing a great post every single time, I'm not going to make any progress. My whole goal is simply to just write two posts, whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether they're in between. And the truth is we don't really know until we press publish because I've had posts that I thought were awesome that totally tanked. And I've had posts that I thought were crap that ended up going viral. So really it's all about that consistency and putting stuff out there. So if you're having writer's block or creative block, whatever it is, the best thing you can do is just sit down and start doing that thing without focusing on the result. You know, you should focus on the action itself. So Matthew, I hope that's helpful. I know a lot of people deal with writer's block. uh, So that's personally how I've been dealing with it. And it's been pretty successful so far. And then last but not least, we have a seasonal question from Sarah, who's asking, what is your favorite pumpkin ale? So I actually have been sort of blown away that I've, I've gone to, you know, the beer shop 
uh, the last couple of days and I've seen pumpkin ale and it is the end of August. Like it's not even Labor Day and we already have pumpkin stuff out there. I know the pumpkin spice latte is back at Starbucks. Like this is crazy to me. You know, where are we even drawing the seasonal lines anymore? If we're still like August is peak summer, in my opinion, like this is the best part of summer and we're already trying to force fall. I'm seeing pumpkins everywhere in the liquor store and all this other stuff. So that was upsetting, but Sarah timed this really well because I actually did see my favorite pumpkin ale, which I am not touching for another month or so, but it is a beer called Pumpkin by a brewery called Southern Tier. And I was actually introduced to it by my brother-in-law, Sean, who I think is probably listening to this episode, but it is definitely one of the better beers, uh, or at least fall beers, pumpkin beers that I've had. So I'm looking forward to having that, but not too soon because it's still summer. I'm enjoying my shandies. I'm enjoying my New England IPAs, and I'm going to keep riding that wave until, I mean, what what's the, the last day of summer is like September 21st, right? So we got a whole nother month to go here. I'm going to soak up that sun. I'm going to soak up the season, and then I'm going to have some pumpkin when October rolls around. So that's it for today and this month's episode of Ask Austin Anything. I really appreciate y'all tuning in. If you do have a question that you'd like me to answer in next month's Ask Austin Anything or a future AAA, just shoot me a text, shoot me an email. Both of those are down below in the show notes. Let me know it's for the series here and I will try to work you in. Until then, we'll see you in the next episode of the podcast. Thank you.